In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In the gospel appointed for last week, you heard that our Lord Jesus Christ was circumcised on the eighth day, and that this was in accordance with the covenant that God made with Abraham, a covenant which was then enshrined in the Levitical law by the prophet Moses. In this way, by being circumcised, Jesus brought the covenant of circumcision to its fulfillment and to its temporal end. No longer are we bound to be circumcised in our flesh as God had commanded the ancient people of Israel. But if all Christ had done was to end the covenant of circumcision, there would have been something of a void. For circumcision was an initiatory sign or sacrament as we might call it. And circumcision brought the sons of Israel into the covenantal promises that God had made with Abraham, promises including nations, kings, and most importantly, the Messiah. But although Christ ended the bloody sign of the covenant of circumcision by fulfilling it, he did not leave us without a sacrament of initiation, as we might say, or better, a sacrament of new birth into a life of faith. In place of circumcision, Christ instituted holy baptism, by which we are initiated or again born into the Christian faith and placed under the fatherhood of God by a new birth of water and the spirit. This sacrament is made powerful and effective by Christ himself, just like circumcision was. And Christ makes holy baptism powerful and efficacious by uniting his very own flesh to it. He undergoes it himself. When he did this for circumcision, it was retroactive. By being circumcised in his own flesh, Christ rendered all previous circumcisions effective and beneficial. For holy baptism, it is proactive. Christ is baptized. And as a result, all subsequent baptisms, our very own baptisms, are no mere washings of the body. They are saving. This is because we are not baptized into a different baptism than Jesus. It is the same baptism. For we do not believe in many baptisms, just as we do not believe in many lords and do not confess many faiths. We believe in one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all. And understanding the oneness of our baptism with Jesus' baptism is the key to comprehending what takes place in the baptism of Jesus by John in the Jordan River and also what is going on when holy baptism is administered to us and among us. In the first place, when Jesus was, is baptized, it is a fulfilling of all righteousness, as Jesus directly tells John the Baptist. John, it seems, rightly understood what baptism does for the sinner, but he did not yet understand how that was to take place. 
In his mind, baptism was into a life of repentance, and baptism forgives sins. And so John is understandably confused when Jesus comes not seeking to take over for John as the baptizer, but rather to be baptized with the gathered mass of the sinners. But Jesus' baptism is necessary for the fulfilling of all righteousness. The righteousness that Jesus describes here is the righteousness of his merits, which he reckons to us by faith. This is the righteousness that he accomplishes for us by fulfilling the law and dying on the cross in the place of sinners in order to satisfy the wrath of his father against sin. And so if Jesus is to fulfill that sort of righteousness, a righteousness of merits in our place, it is necessary that he be baptized, that he stand in the water among the sinners. The sinless Son of God must be marked as a sinner in the Jordan River. He must be reckoned as a sinner if we are to be reckoned righteous. And so he stands in the Jordan River with the sinners in order to fulfill that righteousness that he bestows to us through faith. So it is that Jesus does not need to be baptized to gain righteousness for himself, but Jesus does need to be baptized in order to gain righteousness for you. In the second place, Jesus' baptism is a revelation of the Holy Trinity. Not only are we shown that our God is a truly triune God, but it is also revealed that redemption and the fulfilling of righteousness is the will of the entire Godhead. As Jesus stands in the place of sinners in the Jordan, it is then at that time that he is anointed by the Holy Spirit and takes up his office as the Christ. By being anointed at that particular moment, the Holy Ghost makes it clear that Jesus is anointed to the particular office of taking away the sins of the world. The Holy Ghost anoints the sinless one who is marked as a sinner, that those who are sinners might become as the sinless one. And while Jesus is being thus anointed by the Holy Spirit, the mighty voice of the Father sounds forth from heaven and preaches a short but impactful sermon to those along the banks of the Jordan and also to us. This one is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The Father is pleased with the Son who stands in the murky waters with the sinners. The Father is pleased that his Son is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And in the third place, in Jesus' baptism in the Jordan, he is cleansing and sanctifying all baptismal water. He places into baptismal waters all the righteousness which he gained for us by his perfect life under the law, by his innocent death, and by his victorious resurrection. He makes baptismal water clean with his perfection. And he shows us that baptism, water united with his word, 
is the place where we have access to the Holy Trinity. Baptism is the place of anointing by the Holy Spirit, and baptism is the place where the Father claims sons for himself. And so in Jesus' baptism, we see the action that is taking place every time we apply water to sinners in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. For whenever baptism is carried out according to the institution of Jesus, that baptism is one with the baptism of Jesus. And when this is understood to be the case, then how can anyone think that baptism is an act of righteousness on the part of the sinner. Jesus is the one who is working in your baptism to fulfill righteousness for you, not with you. He is the one who is active in your baptism to grant you the fullness of his righteousness. He is the one who is cleansing the water with his word so that it is holy and perfect water, a water that is truly to be able to wash away your sins. And when we see the unity of our baptism with Jesus' baptism, the reason that the formula Jesus instituted for Christian baptism is Trinitarian becomes immediately clear. For in the one baptism, the three persons of the Holy Trinity are at work. The Holy Spirit anoints Jesus to be the sin-bearer and redeemer, and he anoints you to be redeemed believers in Christ, saved by grace through the faith which trusts the word of God in the water of holy baptism. While the Father announces that Jesus Christ is his beloved Son with whom he is well pleased, he also claims you as his very own beloved sons, who are united with Christ in baptism. And because of the righteousness that Christ gives to you in baptism, the Father is well pleased with you even as he is well pleased with Jesus. He loves you with the same eternal love he has for Christ. And so by Christ's actions in holy baptism, you are born into a life like his that is an eternal life. You are brought into the life and the love of the Holy Trinity. You are united to Christ in his death and his resurrection. You are anointed by the Holy Spirit. You are sons of God. Indeed, all that the mortal eye beholds is water as we pour it. Before the eye of faith unfolds the power of Jesus' merit. For when holy baptism is being administered, the eyes of faith see at that very font the wondrous work of Christ's passion and death by which he fulfilled all righteousness for us. And our eyes of faith see the Holy Trinity right there, claiming us for himself, confident that the baptism of Christ in the Jordan has sanctified and set apart those waters to do these great things for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.